Power Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's wide range of beautiful wood designs can be painted, stained, or unfinished to complement any decor. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Expires 9-30-2022. Certain restrictions apply to showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So delighted to have you with us. Okay, Mike Spaulding, I, I just I, I want to start off the program to make sure that I, I it's candidly, it's been kind of a, a stressful sort of week, you know. We we've had our, our move and so I'm gonna talk about in just a little minute. If you in a minute, if you if you own property in Florida, yesterday was a particularly stressful sort of day. But I, I want to start off and I want to make sure I do not forget the most important thing that is going on today and, and it's good news. All right, what is it? My anniversary. Oh, congratulations. I, five, five years. Five wow. years, Fran, and I have been married. She actually, um, I, I, in so many ways, this wonderful woman has kind of, I think, saved my life and stuff, and I appreciate that. So, you know, five years today, and it's it's been one of these kind of sort of hectic weeks, and we were thinking, man, it's one of those deals where, in some respects, it, it just seems like it was just absolutely yesterday, and in other respects, it seems like we've been married forever and things, but five years just flies by. What is it, the, the days are long, but the years are short? Well, and as you get older, the, year, the, the, day, the days and the years, the years come faster and the days get shorter. How long have you been married? Uh, it'll be four years next Thursday. Okay. I think next Thursday, and October just, 6th. Yeah, and I, and I'm sure it just kind of flew by in a snap, right? Yeah, it did. Well, you, you know, when you're newly married, usually you hit a bunch of different milestones. And so I just feel like every year you're working towards something else. So they, they seem like they go by really quickly. Right. And when you, you get, I mean, everybody knows my story. My, my first wife passed away from cancer a number of years ago. And, and so it's, it's, it's a little bit different when you, you get married later on in life and stuff. And there's sort of different expectations as opposed to, you know, coming into a marriage when you're, you're, you're pretty much set where you are in life and then versus you guys are starting out in some respects. And that's very cool as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely fun. Okay, so now that you announced your anniversary on the air, are you doing something special? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, we're, yes, we're, we are going out to one of our favorite places for dinner this evening, and um, we're going to Las Vegas next week. So, it, yeah, so we've got a couple of things that are planned. They, they, they weren't necessarily related, but the dinner tonight is, and, and Fran keeps saying, well, we had so much stuff going on. Do you want to just skip dinner tonight? I said, no, I don't want to skip dinner tonight. We're going to go out to a nice place tonight. Fair All right, off the air, I'll ask you where that place is. Okay, fair I'm enough. I'm going to need some tips, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm getting an anniversary <laughs> coming up here pretty soon. Fair, so fair enough. No, it's, it's a place that we always like and don't necessarily go to all the time. So before we get into all, like, the heavy lifting and all the bad stuff that's going on, and before we start arguing about politics and things like that, I just want to make sure I said happy anniversary to my lovely wife after five years. So Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you very much. Okay, on this program, we normally, when I am preparing the show, I, I try to start off looking at, at local and or regional issues. That's kind of where the, the focus is. And then, okay, are there interesting local or regional issues? And then I broaden it out, okay, are there state issues? And then I look at, at national issues, but I always try to figure out what the local tie is. It, it might be a national issue, but why do we care? Why do I care about it? Why might you care about it? So that, that's how I always wrestle with these things. I'm going to deviate from that just slightly because this hurricane, Hurricane Ian, that hit Florida yesterday and landing on, on the southwest coast um, in an incredibly populated area, I have heard from a number of you because I know that it either impacted you or impacted your members of your family. 
The area where this hit was, of course, you know, Fort Myers, which is highly populated. And you've got Fort Myers, and then to the south, you've got Naples. As you go farther north, you've got, you know, Cape Coral, and then you've got Sarasota and all those different areas. Pretty much made landfall just a little bit north of Fort Myers. And I've been hearing for the last couple, for the last day or so, about all these different reports of things that are going on. Now, I admit, I have a personal interest in this, because as I was talking about yesterday, about two years ago, we bought a, a condo in a in a community in Bonita Springs, which is halfway between Naples and Fort Myers. And this this was my, my first bona fide hurricane. And as I was mentioning, I think we got I think we, we got lucky that all the neighborhoods in the complex I live in flooded and I was seeing pictures of you know massive flooding in our neighborhood, but I don't think the water got to our house and I, I think it, it's now receded. So can't get in there, don't know um, no power. Interestingly, I live in Lee County, or our places in Lee County. There are 470,000 customers, of electric customers. I was just checking the outage. 430,000 have no power. So uh, about 90% of the county has absolutely no power. I keep getting notices from Hotwire, which is like the cable and the internet provider, saying, well, we're experiencing service outages in your area. We're working on it. And I'm like, yeah, well, I, I get it. The first thing is going to be, even if you get your lines all set up, it, it's not. You know, there's no electricity right now and no real idea as to how to do that. I think, you know, again, knock on wood, can't get in there, but I think we we did okay. I, I don't think that there was a lot of flooding. As near as I can tell from some of the pictures, doesn't look like there's trees down, doesn't look like there was roof damage, at least so far. Now, I might... I might be disabused about that, you know, today or tomorrow or something. But, you know, we, we, I think, came through it okay. But I know for a lot of people that that's not necessarily the case because I'm seeing the absolute devastation that happened. And, of course, this is relevant to this area because this is a place where I'm sure maybe you vacation at. Maybe you have a, a second home there. Maybe you have retired there. Maybe your parents have retired there. Maybe your grandparents have retired there, and you always go down and, and visit. But this this is unprecedented to, to be hit with a hurricane of this magnitude in what is really one of the most populous areas of Florida. So what, what I want to do, again, we do this in times of natural disasters, and we do this sometimes when there's tornadoes that blow through this area or you have the heavy rainstorms with the flooding. I want to open up the phone lines. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the good news here is you know, everybody's safe. I mean, you know, we're, we, we didn't ride out the hurricane in Florida. We just kind of watched it on TV and, you know, got the various reports and stuff. But for, for people, whether you own property there, whether you rent property there, whether you have family members that are there, how bad was this? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's take a quick break. And, and again, I, I understand in some respects it's, you know, half a country away. In other respects, I, I know it impacts a lot of you who are listening to me now one way or the other. 855-616-1620. Your reaction to the hurricane and how... How, if you know people down there or you own property down there, how you did with regard to what happened yesterday. 855-616-1620. Back in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand in some respects this hurricane that hit southwest Florida yesterday, it's like, okay, well, we're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're in Wisconsin. Why do we care? Well, we care because... 
There are lots of us who either own property there, who have relatives who own property there, who have friends who own property there, or we vacation. And the the amount of devastation and impact just strikes me as being absolutely incredible. Let's start with Frank. Frank, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. There's there's a crazy amount of devastation with this information right now. And uh, I just had a question about a statement that you made yesterday at the top of the hour, uh, saying that people want to go to prison. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to let you go, because I, I want to I wanna stop that. I want to talk about right now, I want to talk about the, the, what's going on in Florida. And we can revisit stuff I said yesterday, maybe at an appropriate time. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Tex. Tex, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, sir. I am in Florida. I live in Florida. I moved down here in August. Okay. And I'm lucky. We got a lot of rain, a lot of wind, but uh, other than us having no electricity, we're, we said pretty. We came out pretty good. Where in Florida are you? We're like central. We're about a. We're about an hour quarter east of Tampa. Okay, got it. Yeah. So I mean, there were uh, you know at least there were initial reports thinking that this thing might have gone even further north and and hit Tampa, which would have been even more devastating just because of the geography of Tampa. Oh, yeah, definitely. So you, um, I had a friend of mine that lives in Port Charlotte. Yeah. And he stayed in his house overnight. And, um, part of his roof got blown off. His little knife completely got wasted, but yeah. uh, he survived it. Well, that's, I mean, that that's, I mean, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. And stay safe. That's, I mean, that is, at the end of the day, it's, it's stuff. And, um, you know, one of our texters is saying it, whether I'm aware that the Lee County Sheriff um, and Lee County is the county between Naples and Fort Myers, to put it in perspective. Um, the uh, sheriff has estimated that hundreds are dead from the storm surge and flooding and then hope that doesn't include any neighbors down there. I, I think I, I saw the sheriff when he said that. I, I think he he misspoke and overreacted. The numbers I'm starting to see are are, and I don't mean to, believe me, I don't mean to minimize this in any way, but I, I think that the total loss of life is, is not going to be in the hundreds. I, I, the numbers I saw were maybe it was like five people who drowned or things like that, but it's, it's really, it's scary. There's no doubt about it. Jeff, I have nine family members, five being in Orlando. They were hit the worst. We have heard they are all safe. Um, it was felt in Vero Beach at my sister's. My brother has been through four hurricanes, uh, the worst one being Wilma. Yeah, well, it all kind of depends on, on on how that is. Jeff, my father-in-law's family lives in the Naples area. At the end of the day, a lot of rain and a lot of wind, but for the most part, they are doing okay. I have a couple friends who live in these condo complexes that are along right along the, the water, very, very nice places, and the, the, the parking for the, the condo complexes, for the, the high-rises, it's it's on, like, I, I was describing it as, uh, like, underneath parking, but it's probably actually, like, first level. Um, all, all those flooded. I mean, so anybody that had a car down there, that the car is probably ap- underwater and is probably going to be just absolutely totaled. But again, it's, it's stuff, and at the end of the day, you can replace stuff. Let's talk to Jeff. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for uh, the topic. We appreciate it. There's a lot of Wisconsin people down in Southwest Florida. So we bought a condo in Naples two years ago, June of 2020, in a new development about five miles from the beach. Uh, and thankfully, I think partly because it's new, uh, no water damage in mm-hmm. the home, no flooding in the home. And uh, power was out for about 24 hours. Power's back on. So, oh. um, so we were 
Yeah, 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 the closer you get to the water in Naples, at least it looks to me like that's 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 where the, the more of the damage was. That's where the storm surge really hit bad, like downtown Naples, and and again right close to the beach there. Yeah, yeah, but it's still kind of scary, huh? It is. Yeah, the, you know, there's trees down in the community and things like that, but no major devastation, and and we'll be down there in about a month, and uh, we're certainly not looking forward to seeing what we're going to see when we get there. Yeah, you know, that's that's one of the frustrating things as well, because, you know, just, just like you, I mean, I'm, I'm up here, and you're kind of getting reports and things like that, and neighbors are telling you, but there's really, first of all, where I live, there's still no power, and I don't think there's going to be power for a while, but you just, you, you really would like to get in there and get in and take an eye, a look at it, and, and, and we're not going to know for sure until either friends yeah. of ours go down there and go in, or, or we get down there, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. Right. And, you know, for us, we have a couple of uh, friends who live in the community. Right. And they're there. So they, they weathered the storm. And so so it was kind of quiet because power or uh, uh, cell towers yeah. were out. But they have text. They've texted us and given us updates. So that was comforting. Well, that's good. Now, thanks. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I think that's again, it's it's all kind of hit or miss. Like I say, in the, the community that I live in, it's 65 separate neighborhoods. And I know that there's a couple of those neighborhoods where there was extensive home flooding, I, I think, and again, this is knock on, on wood, but I, I think based on what I'm being told that, that it, it didn't, any any sort of flooding we had was relatively minor. Now, I, I, I just, I, I don't know that for certain. I do know that they've told me that all the water has receded, and, and hopefully that's going to be a good sign. Hopefully when you get the high tide, it's not going to happen again. But I, you, you would think that you've weathered the worst of this. But it, it is, you know, it, it's really um, kind of difficult here. Jeff, with all the flood damaged cars, the biggest pain will be new auto inventory to replace them. Oh, yeah, I, I think, you know, there, there's no question about that. Jeff, my father-in-law's family lives in the Naples area, lots of rain and wind. They are doing okay, which is, I think, you know, one of the important things that's out there. So bottom line is, it is one of these sort of shared experiences, and it is a kind of a different experience for me when you, I mean, I've I've seen the coverage of hurricanes before, and you kind of say, oh, okay, there's a hurricane, and you hope nobody gets hurt, and you hope the property damage isn't too bad. It's a completely different story when you own a place down there, and you're, you're kind of watching these reports, and you've got the people on the Weather Channel going, oh, you know, this is it. And look, there goes this pier, or it's just collapsed. Or you say, boy, I've been to that place, or I know where on the beach this person is staying, and it it just really doesn't look good. But the bottom line is, if you have family members down in that area, if you have friends down in that area, if you have property yourself down the area, I hope everything came through came through fine, and I hope this is just something that becomes a distant memory as quickly as possible. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the election is coming up in, what, a little bit less than six weeks. I know there's a lot of people who do not believe in polling, but I, I think it, it's interesting on a horse race thing for people who haven't been keeping track. In the last four or five days, there's been three new polls that have come out. The Trafalgar Group poll, which came out on Friday, has Ron Johnson ahead of Mandela Barnes, 49 to 47, and uh, Michaels, Tim Michaels, ahead of Tony Evers, 48 to 47. Those are both, again, within the margin of error um, in connection with the poll. All right. Uh, then you've had a couple other polls. Yesterday, there was the PPP poll, which is a, a Democrat poll. 
That came out and showed uh, Johnson and Barnes tied 47 to 47, Evers 48, Michaels 46, um, Evers up by two. But again, that, that's within the, the margin of error. And today there's the AARP poll, which came out. Um, that one shows Ron Johnson 51, Mandela Barnes 46, and shows Michaels 50, Evers 47. So you, you can take those, again, with, with a grain of salt. Um, all of those polls show the race is very, very close. You are starting to see, I, th- I think, a couple factors. First of all, the, the Michaels and Evers race is, is going to come down to the last minute. I, I think you have, you know, most people, I think, have decided on the issues. And so now it's really going to, I think, come down to turnout one way or the other. That's also going to be, of course, true in the U.S. Senate race. But one of the things that you are starting to see is that Ron Johnson is starting to at least, if you look at a consensus of the polls, he's, I, I think, made up any difference or any la- any shortage in that he might have had before. I think he's more than made up. And, you know, I think the consensus is starting to emerge that Johnson is edging ahead in the polls, but there's a long way to go. Now, having said that, there is a development today. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I I referenced the, the story that is out there today, maybe, and I say maybe, Today may be that the, the day that the U.S. Senate at least unofficially ended. Some interesting revelations that one of the candidates are going to have a hard time running away from. I will share that with you in just a couple moments. Yeah, for everybody who was jazzed about the uh, comeback that the stock market made yesterday after weeks and weeks and weeks of huge losses, um, well, it's kind of gone the other way. Pretty much everything that was gained yesterday in the stock market has has been lost today. Um, and until we get a handle on inflation and until investors and until the people who make some of these investment decisions believe that the Federal Reserve and the government in general is going to stop printing money that it doesn't have and get a handle on inflation, um, you're, you're going to continue, I think, to see the stock market tank day after day after day. And again, my, my cautionary note is uh, tomorrow, which is September 30th, that is the end of the third quarter. So when you get your statements, your, your quarterly statements, whether it's from your brokerage account or your retirement account, your IRA, your 401k, whatever, my, my advice is before you open it, sit down. Get, and, and whatever it is that relaxes you, whether it's an adult beverage or a cup of tea or your your cat or dog on your lap, do that before you open it because uh, if you look at your year-to-date numbers, if you look at your last uh, 52-week numbers, and if you look at the last quarter numbers, the amount of wealth that you have lost, and yes, you have lost it. I, I understand it's a paper loss, but still it's a loss nonetheless. The loss is going to be pretty much staggering, and, and so just... Just be prepared. All right. There is a real interest. As we were talking about just a couple of minutes ago, the, the U.S. Senate race, the, the polls appear to be coalescing and coalescing and showing Ron Johnson with a slight lead. Now, any race is pretty much going to be close around here because, the, you know, we, we are a very split state. I have believed all along the Democrats made a mistake by coronating, by having a coronation of Mandela Barnes. 
It ended up being that he was the chosen candidate, so you had a number of other people who were running who decided, okay, even though, for example, Alex Lazary, even though he's been running for a year and a half, he, he backs out a couple of weeks before the primary campaign. And the primary campaign, it was interesting because the Democrats really didn't go after each other. The idea was, okay, we're going to talk about how much you know everybody hates Ron Johnson, but there was no vetting of the various candidates. And I think that was going to be an issue. That's why a lot of people thought, well, you know, it's going to be interesting because you have a candidate who comes through the primary, in this case, Mandela Barnes, and and really questions that that perhaps should have been asked were, were not asked. Now, one of the things that has been frustrating to me about this election campaign, and I put this on, on the mainstream media, is the fact that Barnes has, has pretty much gotten a, a free pass, whereas Ron Johnson, every statement he makes gets analyzed, every decision he makes gets analyzed. And, and okay, I, I understand politics isn't beanbag, that, that's sort of fair game. But one of the things that's been so interesting to me is, is Mandela Barnes has pretty much gotten a free pra- pass. There, there's, there's nobody in the media, either the press or the electronic media, who's holding his feet to the fire and asking about positions on, on various sorts of issues. And I'm not talking about just the crime issue. I'm talking about government spending. I'm talking about his worldview. And I, I mean, I've, I've sent out tweets on this before. This, his allegiance and his involvement with the Working Families Party, which is about as radical left as you can end up getting. But there's nobody that asks him questions about this, and, and he doesn't want to answer questions about it. If you try to, he ends up ducking them. And so that's been sort of the frustration. I have at least been under the impression that there were a couple shoes that were going to start dropping. And, and today, that's one of the things that happened. Uh, there's a story in the Journal Sentinel, and Dan Bice is reporting this, and that what, what has happened is Mandela Barnes, as is indicative of lots of millennials, spends a lot of time on, on Twitter. And um, they, say, they say that he's tweeted more than 18,000 times since joining Twitter a, a decade ago, an average of nearly five tweets a day. That's how he starts to interact. But interestingly enough, at least up until now, there's been no analysis of what some of the things he was saying when he was tweeting. All right, now here are just a handful, and believe me, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. For example, he talked about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, as being his president. You know, he, you know that's, that's who he wanted to be his president. Um, he said he could care less about a Second Amendment right to bear arms, could care less about that. Okay, he went on to say, well, I don't think that all police are corrupt or racist, but if I gave you a bowl of Skittles and told you three were poisoned, and then dot, 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 you know, the implication is you would understand that there would be a problem there. In 2017, he said, I think Donald Trump must be a Russian spy. He's tweeted about moderate Democrats in the U.S. Senate. Um, He once insinuated that Manchin, who is the senator from West Virginia, wasn't really a Democrat and later questioned his courage. What's the point of fighting for a majority if the spine is missing a vertebrae? Um, Again, Second Amendment. He says, I really could care less about the Second Amendment um, rights. Went on to talk about um, the Constitution. Hey, you get that argument from everyone. The Second Amendment's in the Constitution. You have a right to bear arms. You're not going to take away my guns. They want to clamor to a document that is centuries old and flawed. In 2020, 
Barnes, who liked to post pictures of his Anthony Fauci T-shirt, said it was not hyperbole to compare the anti-lockdown protests by conservatives in Wisconsin to the racist and violent Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay, all right, let's break this down. So if during COVID you did not think that the government had the right or the authority to order lockdowns, all right, you are essentially, you are the same as Unite the Right racist and violent rallies that were going on in Charlottesville, Virginia. Huh. Um, In another tweet, he called repealing the mask mandate in 2021 basically an insurrection against public health. In other words, how dare... How dare the Supreme Court say that the government didn't have the authority to continue to mandate the masks? And that's an insurrection against public health. Well, it goes on and on and on. And again, this is just kind of the, the tip of the iceberg as far as, as what's, what's out there with regard to how far to the left Mandela Barnes is. And I guarantee you, if you're tired of seeing the Mandela Barnes is soft on crime and favors defunding the police ads, I I guarantee you stick around because the next batch of ads are going to be using his words, talking about, you know, this this far left desire. And I I want I think AOC should be my president and we we need to go farther and farther. And, And it just demonstrates, I think, how far to the left he is. And that's, I think, why you might see a sea change in this particular election. As a lot of Wisconsin voters say, all right, we, we have some issues with Ron Johnson, and we don't necessarily agree with this or that or the other thing, but we're not really ready to elect somebody who, if elected, would probably be one of the farthest left members of the United States Senate. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. I, I think these tweets, candidly, are if if they are turned into ads, like I think they will be, and if this is, as my belief is, they are the tip of the iceberg and you're going to start to see more and more, I think this could be a real turning point in the U.S. Senate race. Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are changing colors, and you know what that means. It's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we are featuring Poblaki Paving, 100% employee-owned. You can request a quotation from them by calling their number, 414-476-9130 or visiting their website. It's publockypaving.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station 620 WTMJ. Yeah, the um and this is it's a very millennial sort of thing. And and how often have we we spoken on this program about the the use of social media and and how many times have we had these stories about, you know, people who have said stuff on, on social media and it's come back to haunt them or done stuff with, okay, here, I'm going to take this picture and I'm going to send it out. It, it's just, you, you need to recognize that once you do this stuff, you're going to make a record of it. One of the incredible frustrations that I have had during this Senate campaign is the fact that the mainstream media ha- has pretty much allowed Mandela Barnes to skate. That is, there's been no pushing on previous positions he's taken. Nobody's saying, do you really mean that? Okay, you, you, you're wandering around with a T-shirt that says abolish ICE, getting rid of like the, the customs people. What exactly does that mean? Well, you say you want to reform the border. Explain what that means. 
all right, you, you say, well, I don't really want to defund the police. What I want to do is I, I want to you know, redirect law enforcement resources to, so it's more effective. Explain what exactly that means. But there's been no push on any of that or a wide variety of other issues. Um, that's, I think, now starting to come to an end as a number of the tweets that Barnes has sent out over the course of the last 10 years are are, are coming out where, I mean, again, it's his liberal tendencies where, you know, he's talking about, you know, that if, if you're a liberal and you move to the center, you're compromising all integrity. Okay, th- this is this is the guy who is clearly aligned with the AOC faction of the Democratic Party. He, he, he might not be running to be a member of the squad, but he will be a member of the squad if he ends up, you know, getting elected. I mean, he's got tweets out talking about how, yeah, forget, don't tell me about the Second Amendment. I don't think that we need to be bound by some, you know, centuries-year-old document that, you know, doesn't speak to things nowadays. And, and it's issue after issue after issue like that, where you have a guy who is, I think, clearly out of the mainstream. And I think the more people find out about this, the, the less inclined they're going to be to, you know, vote for him. Um Let's see, and um, 855-616-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, I'm disappointed that we don't have more choices to vote for in the U.S. Senate. Well, okay, that's the case. There's just That's the way it ends up working out. Here's one of the interesting points, and it, it goes back to something I said during the primary election. Jeff, Barnes is plain and simple, the cool demographics candidate. No vetting. Lasry should be kicking himself um, that's I, I think, you know, that's was one of the interesting things that happened during the Democratic primary where you had a lot of the, the power brokers that pretty much decided we don't really want to have an election. We want to have a coronation and, and you need to drop out. And they said to the state treasurer, you need to drop out. And they, they said to the county executive who was running from Apple, you need to drop out here and let's all coalesce, coalesce around this one candidate, which which is fine. But there's no vetting process at all, and nobody's out there saying, hey, we're, we're coalescing, coalescing around a candidate who is way, 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 way to the left. And one of the things that you are clearly seeing in all the polls that are coming out now is the fact that people are starting to recognize you know that. Jeff, there's a picture of Mandela Barnes holding an Abolish Ice shirt, but with his current uh, ad has him saying it's a lie that he wants to abolish ice. How is this allowed? Well, okay, again, that's he's got the T-shirt, you know, he's but nobody's saying, all right, if you don't really want to abolish ice, explain to me what you want to do with them. And, and don't give me just this this again, this rigmarole about how, well, I, I want to, you know, I, I think I'd, I'd like to change the funding emphasis and things like that. No, push him. Do you support open borders? You know, what exactly would you do if you got into the U.S. Senate? All right, you know, we know how you feel about the Second Amendment. Okay, how are you going to handle these things? But so far, the media, like I say, has given him a pretty much a complete and total pass on all of this. That, I think, is starting to come to an, an end. Jeff, I truly believe these tweets just show a lack of maturity and a lack of wisdom. Well, I think, I don't know. I, I, they think you can argue that they show a lack of wisdom. I think that's the case. But I don't know about a lack of maturity. No, I, I think they show where Mandela Barnes is. And it's one of the stark choices that you have. And look, I, I, I have been critical of Ron Johnson from time to time. I don't for the life of me, understand why he's chosen to pick a couple of the fights he's chosen to pick o- over the years. 
But at the same time, if you're looking about the things that are important to most of us, and the question is, do you want to turn the government over to somebody who is to, again, the the left of the squad, or do you want a solid conservative? I don't think it's even going to be close. And I'm getting a couple of texts saying, yes, but there's that abortion ad, which is, of course, the one— it's tough to tell. There's so many abortion ads out there. But the one against Ron Johnson, who, by the way, has come out and supported exactly what Tony Evers would do, saying, hey, I'd be open to having a referendum in Wisconsin to kind of decide the issue of of abortion. Um, But yet, you know, Johnson, because, again, people do these studies and they think that Republicans are vulnerable on abortion, you know, you, you have that ad, even if it's pretty much completely and totally inconsistent with where the senator is. Bottom line is, if these poll numbers continue and Johnson continues to pull away, and that's an if. Who knows what's going to happen? I think you can look back to today and the follow-up from today when these, again, much-anticipated tweets from Mandela Barnes started to become public. And the more of them that come out, I think the scarier candidate he is going to appear to that that chunk of Wisconsin, the independent voters that make the decisions in every election. Six weeks to go, but remember today, if in fact Ron Johnson goes on to win, either in a close race or win comfortably. number of people are asking me to update something that we've spoken about briefly over the course of the last couple of days, and that is the, the legal circus that is coming to the Waukesha County Courthouse next week. The trial is scheduled to start October 3rd, which is what? That's next Monday. Uh, Daryl Brooks, who is, of course, the defendant, um, and, and we're gonna, I'm going to use the word alleged up front, and then I'm not going to say it again, but re-alleged into everything I say. He's the guy who drove through the Waukesha Christmas parade, killed six people, and injured dozens and dozens more. His trial is supposed to start, and it will start on, on Monday. In an effort to do I don't know what, Brooks moved to fire his attorneys, and he had two very, very good attorneys from the public defender's office that he was getting at taxpayer expense. He said he wanted to represent himself. It took two days of hearings, including the judge trying to tell him that there, this old adage that, you know, a person who represents himself has a fool for a client, trying to explain to him all the pitfalls of this, and then ultimately determining that Brooks was understood and was competent to stand trial and was competent to make the decision. So the, the public defenders were allowed to withdraw and, and weren't required to sit around and act even in, in an of-counsel fashion. So it's just going to be, you know, Derek Daryl Brooks in his, um, you know, orange jumpsuit or I assume they'll probably let him put on some street clothes against the prosecutors in the Waukesha DA's office. Now, I mean, here, here's the deal. This, this trial has always been what I call a slow guilty plea. There's no question about this guy's guilt. But the problem is when you allow a defendant to represent themselves and, and they have the right to do it, you, it's, it's going to be a complete and total circus. He's been argumentative in the past, refusing to come to court, talking back to the judge, not following the, the rules of, of the court that you have and that, that lawyers, you know, sometimes lawyers push them, but, but they're always going to, you know, follow those different rules. So th- this is going to just be a circus. Right now, the trial is supposed to last three to four weeks, but if Daryl Brooks is representing himself, I, I think, you know, this could go on for a month, maybe two months. Uh, the judge is really going to be hard-pressed to try to keep this on track 
it, it makes it more difficult for the prosecutors as well, because on the one hand, you want to have the conviction, but at the same time, you want to make sure that there's no error that goes on, that prejudices is right. So when he does inevitably get an attorney on appeal, that attorney can't go back and say, okay, well, look, this is the problem. You know, he might have been found not guilty, but for the fact that he was representing himself and the court made errors. It's going to just be an absolute circus. And I guess the question is, what is the over-under? How long is it going to take, hours or days, before there is a massive outburst in the courtroom, which causes a huge delay in the trial? Just asking. But as it stands now, Daryl Brooks will be representing himself against um, the prosecution in all these different charges. Say no more. It's going to be a circus. When we come back in the next hour, well, lots of stuff, including job postings, free school meals, and what's going on with Joe Biden. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike uh, Spalding, you, you want it to be 1208, not 108. You, want, you, just want, you just want to do another hour of news. I want it to be 208, but, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll get halfway there with the 108. It is, it is 108, yes. And, and it, as a matter of fact, I've got a topic worked up a little bit later on about when, when people misspeak about things. And inevitably, what, what happens when we do that on the radio, there, there's always a handful of people who are just waiting to text us and say, doesn't Spalding know that it's 1208 instead of 108? It's 108 instead of 1208. Yes, we, we know, or... What was the one I did last week? Uh, Tim Scott was a guest on the program. Tim Scott is, of course, the Republican senator from South Carolina, who I think is going to be on the short list to run for president in 2024. And in talking about him at one point in time, I, I used the name Rick Scott. Rick Scott is a senator from Florida. And I, I appreciate that there were a number of people out there who just wanted to immediately share the, the notion that you're talking about Tim Scott, not Rick Scott. You have made a mistake. And yes, it, it happens. Every once in a while, we misspeak. You know why people listen extra well on this station? Because Steve does that segment, that's what Steve said, and he like quizzes fans who listen about what he said so they can win a prize pack. So I think we, you know, I blame Steve. Okay. <laughs> we'll blame Scafidi for that. No, well, well, we, we do not do that, and, and trust me, there's, there's enough people out there. Did, did, he, did he really misspeak? Did he really say 1208? Doesn't he know it's 108? Okay, it's just it was a slip of the tongue. Okay. There is a move afoot by the Biden administration to restore something that we we had during the pandemic, but has gone away. And I'm talking about universal free school lunches. Now, historically, in this state and and in the country, what's happened is for schools that offer food programs, there's many schools have, have lunches and then some also have breakfasts. And historically, what's happened is some children are eligible for free lunches, and it's based on family income. Other students are eligible for reduced price lunches, and that's based on income. And then everybody else pays because there is no such thing as a free lunch. I mean, because sooner or later, the taxpayers are, are paying for this. What also happens is if you have a school district where a certain percentage, that is like I think over 40% of the students qualify for the free lunches, well then just because of the paperwork involved, they say everybody can get a free lunch. But otherwise, unless it's a school district that is in that area, and I think, for example, MPS qualifies for that. 
Otherwise, you know, it, it's based on the income of the families, unless the school district has so many kids that end up qualifying for it. Okay, so here's here's what the, the limits are. Let's just take a, a household, a family size of four. If two adults and two children, you get free lunches and free breakfasts. If your combined income is less than $36,000, right? If your household income, family of four, is under 51000 you get reduced price meals. And what is a reduced price meal? You pay $0.40 cents for lunch. You pay $0.30 cents for breakfast. So it really is significantly a, a, a reduced price. But that, of course, comes at the expense of, of the taxpayers. But that's okay. That's for the lower-income families. Otherwise, if you family of four income is over $51,300, what happens is you have two choices. You either have to make your kids lunch and send it with them to school, or alternatively, you know, if you want to have the, the lunch that the school offers, you have to pay for it. Now, during COVID, those rules were waived, and everybody— regardless of family income, got the free lunches. So you could have, I don't know, two the kids of two doctors living, I don't know, in, in Waukesha, for example, in Lake Country, and their, their combined household income could be more than half a million dollars, and the taxpayers would be paying for their kids to get free breakfast and free lunch at, at school. All right. Those programs went away, finally, with the end of the pandemic. The estimate is that to provide lunches right now, to provide lunches for the reduced price lunches and the free lunches, it costs about $19 billion. The estimates were to extend this program more costs about another 11B as in billion dollars. Like I say, that program has gone away. Yesterday, Joe Biden said he wants to bring it back. He wants to expand free school meals as part of what he calls a national strategy to end hunger and increase healthy eating. So what he wants is, he said, I, my plan would make at least 9 million more children eligible for free school meals, a major first step for free meals for every single student. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now let me first of all make real clear what we're not talking about. We are not talking about free and or almost free meals for kids whose family live in and near poverty. That's not what we're discussing. We are discussing whether or not the taxpayers have an obligation or should be footing the bill for free lunches and or breakfasts for kids whose families objectively have the money to either send them to school and buy their lunches or alternatively do what, I don't know, my mother did for me and then I ended up doing when I was older, which is, you know, make my own lunch. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here's my question. Should we be offering free meals for every single student? That is what the President of the United States wants to do. 855-616-1620. And if so, why? And I guess my question also would be, gee, if we're going to offer free breakfasts and free lunch for every student, why do we stop there? Why don't why don't we have free dinners for, for every student and free snacks? And why don't we have people that can come in three days on Saturdays and Sundays? And why don't we give them free meals as well? 
And again, we're not talking about families that are in poverty or are close to poverty. 855-616-1620. How far does the government's obligation go? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess what I have trouble with is this idea that we start out with a program that, that has a, a wonderful objective. Look, we we want to make sure needy children get, in this case, food. So what we do is we provide them with either free lunches and breakfasts or greatly reduced lunches and breakfasts, okay, because we want to make sure that they have food options. All right, I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think most people do. But then you get this entitlement program, and you get your foot inside the door, and then like what the president's talking about, he says, I, I don't want it to just be the kids who are quote-unquote needy. I want the government to be picking up the tab for providing free lunches, free food, free meals for every single student. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Why in the world would we be doing that? I mean, seriously, if, if, it's, if you have a family that has the wherewithal to provide breakfast and lunch for the kids, why is it the responsibility of the taxpayers to pick up the tab for that? I mean, don't you, by having children, don't you assume at least some responsibilities? 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm sorry, but how does this become my responsibility to feed the children of people that make three times as much money as I do, and then I have to feed my own children? Jeff, the only reason Biden is doing this is because we are the kids we are feeding have parents that vote. Well, yes, that's let, let us understand that that is the political component of it. The way that at least I think Joe Biden thinks that members of his party gets elected is by this giveaway after that giveaway after that giveaway. Here we're going to forgive $10,000 in student loans, 20000 if you and your spouse make a quarter million dollars or less. That's what we're going to do. Don't you want to vote for me because we're giving you this deal? Hey, vote for me. Okay, family that makes $100,000 a year, vote for me because I'm going to make sure that you're not going to have to make breakfast for your kids. You're not going to have to make a lunch for your kids. You're not going to have have to spend, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars a year feeding your child at school. I will have other people do it. I'll have the taxpayers do it. You know, vote vote for me. Really? 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, the families that need free or reduced meal prices have access to that. They simply have to apply. Um, universal free meals has, for all, has nothing to do with ending hunger. It would be a completely unnecessary measure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the reality right now. Jeff, the whole topic makes me chuckle because truly one of the greatest health issues right now in this country is obesity, even among children. Well, I, I, I don't know. This, to me, it's, it's about whose responsibility is it? to provide food for your kids if you are not in this objectively needy standard. Now, look, I, I, I understand it, w- it, would be, it would be really nice, okay? Work here in our brand new facilities and stuff. It would be really nice if my employer decided, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We are going to offer free breakfasts for all the employees in this nice cafe that we have upstairs, and we're going to offer free lunch for all employees. That would be a a really nice sort of of perk to do it. But there is an expense to that, 
And I don't think it's the employer's obligation. The employer probably says, Jeff, we pay you this money twice a month. We put money in your checking account, and the expectation is that you're you're going to feed yourself, which I think is a reasonable sort of expectation. But of course, when you're talking about the government here, it's it's other people's money. It's the taxpayers' you know money that's you know out there. Eight five five six four eight five five six one six one six twenty. Um, let's talk to. Mike, Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, okay, what do you think? I, I agree with you on the only kids that should be getting it are the ones that need it. But like I was telling your screener, is my belief is that the other parents that are going to say, well, just because I got a job, I, my kids can't eat for free. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason they're doing it. Well, and if the parents say no, we don't need the money, they're lying. Well, I mean, right? I mean, they're they, lying. Well, right. They, well, I mean, I guess here, here's the. I mean, here, here's the bottom line. If if people are going to give you free stuff, I I understand. I mean, I look. I don't fault in my example those, those two doctors in Waukesha County who are making more than half a million dollars a year. And if the school district if decides that we're going to have the taxpayers give their kids free lunches, I don't fault them for taking it. I, I mean, I, I don't. It, it's like a lot of these stimulus payments that we talked about. You know, where we decided to send all this money during COVID that has fueled this inflation that we were dealing with. Now we sent it to a lot of people who didn't need it. I mean, I—that's th- just the, the reality of it. It was people who weren't adversely affected by COVID in, in any way, shape, or form. They kept their jobs. They were in the same situation. I mean, how many? There were a ton of people out there. But we made the decision. We don't want to try to sort this out. We don't want to decide we're going to give the money to people who need it because they've been affected by COVID. We're just going to give it to everybody. Okay, well, this is the—and I mean, I don't fault the people that, that took it. I mean, many of the people I know who took it, they, they fully acknowledge that they shouldn't have gotten it, they didn't need it, but, you know, they're, they're not going to send it back. If the government is stupid enough to send it out, you, you can't expect people to necessarily give it back, but this— is the same sort of thing. So you've got that family, like you're talking about, Mike, that, that family, all, right, all of a sudden you get the free meals. Well, okay, good. You don't have to get up 15 minutes early and make breakfast for your kid. You don't have to worry about, okay, do they have money in their school account? You don't have to worry about, gee, do I have the time to, to make a bag lunch to send my children with it? I mean, I, so I, I get why they're doing this, but really, Jeff, I think this is wrong and ridiculous. Um you know, free and reduced uh, price lunches uh, with a short application have been standard for years. Why do we have to fix things that aren't broken? It's all about politics. Yes, that's that's exactly what this is all about. It's the situation where people are trying to. This is this is the way we're going to buy votes. Look at this. I gave you this here. Vote for me because you're getting more free stuff. But the problem is. Not everything is free. It, it, this is you got to print money to do that. It's eleven billion dollars extra, be as in billion dollars extra that we're going to have to come up with somewhere, which means we're going to have to borrow that, which means it's going to have this inflationary sort of effect, which is even worse running up the debt when you're in a high period of high inflation. But we're going to have to do that. So a family of four whose parents make a hundred kids and a family of four whose parents make. 80000 or 100000 or $150,000 can get free meals. And I guess, how do you feel? This is kind of how I feel about the student loan thing. How do you feel about, I don't know, the people that your, your kids are grown, 
all right, you're you're working, you're paying your taxes, you make 80 grand a year, and now you find yourself footing the bill for somebody who makes a lot more money than you for their for their kids for uh, again a free lunch. Um, Jeff, ever since the schools began doing this, free lunches at schools, the food choices have been uh, abysmal, um, not appetizing like they used to be before government programs got involved. Jeff, I paid for all four of my kids. I want a refund, just like for the student loans. Well, there is that kind of argument um, to be made about that. Jeff, there's so much about waste. I'm not sure about the nutrition of the free meals to begin with. Um, Well, again, somebody was saying, well, the kids that are getting the free meals probably get food stamps, so, you know, why do they need that. Well, okay, the food stamps go to help them them have dinners. But you get the idea, if Joe Biden had his way, mom and dad wouldn't have to provide food for their children at all. We're going to have breakfast. We're going to have lunch. We're going to have dinners. Friday night, there's going to be a good fish fry. Jeff, virtue signaling isn't cheap. Buying votes is expensive business. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. It's an effort to try to buy votes um, from, from people. And I understand it. But, you know, I guess I always thought that there was no such thing as a free lunch, but President Biden is trying his best to prove me wrong. So I, I get a I get a text from Florida Power and Light giving me an update on the, the yes. power st- status of of our our place. Um, it's essentially it's um, good luck. <laughs> it's it's essentially like yeah, it's you know, and and you understand there's like two and a, in, in the county I live in or you know our, our home is in. 470,000 customers, 430,000 without power. So it's kind of like, huh, hope you're not in a rush to be down there. So how do you handle this? I, you know, I had the tree fall on my garage, but I'm here to, to handle stuff. For for you, you're just on the phone once you leave here? Well, no, no. As a matter of fact, there's, there's nothing to do. I mean, I, I've gotten, I get texts from the, like one set of neighbors in our neighborhood stayed and, you know, they were kind of giving us updates on things like that. And a lot of the other neighbors are sharing things. So I have a, I mean, I just got another report saying, okay, that it appears even in the first floor units, like I thought that somebody who was even closer to where the water was rushing didn't have any water in their unit. And that's all, that's a good thing. So you're getting these kind of updates, but there's really, there's not a, a lot you can do. I mean, we have a home watch service that at some point in time will go in, but I, I haven't been able to reach them because they're, in the, I haven't really even reached out because there's there's just nothing. Sure, there, there's just nothing you can do. And I mean, I know if there was a tree down or there was, you know, I, I know that at least I've seen the outside of the place, and you know, there's just not a lot you can do. Yeah. Well, um, I, I wish you guys the best of of luck, but it sounds like even the first floor units seem. Yeah, good. yeah, I think we're we're okay. And like I say, my next door neighbor who happens to live in Wauwatosa, what a small world. He's going down there next week, and. And if, if nothing else, my friend Bill will we'll go in and we'll we'll check it out. But the, the, the problem too is before, as long as, until you have power, what what are you going to actually do? Yeah, you know, no, that's a good point. With that, so I'm just kind of figuring what what the heck. I'm not supposed to go down there until mid November, <laughs> so hopefully this will all be taken care of. Plenty of time. By the, plenty, yeah, plenty of time. time. Absolutely. When we come back, was it a slip of the tongue or something more? I will explain. We will discuss. A number of people are making the points, um, given the fact that in southwest Florida, I mean, electricity, two and a half million people without electricity. And it's it's going to be a while, I think, for a lot of us as to when the, the power is returned. Now, it's not as big a deal when it's a second place and things like that, but it's just the reality. You have this this massive 
damage to the the power grid, and so that that's an issue. A number of people are making the point, and this is a very fair thing to say for everybody who says, "Oh, we we got to go to these electric cars." Right? I I just I ask this rhetorically. Can you imagine if Florida was California, and this was? I don't know, five or 10 years from now, where California had banned essentially the sale of internal combustion engines. Okay, imagine what would happen if everybody who owned vehicles right now in Southwest Florida, the two plus million people who are without power, many of whom will probably be out without power for a day, two days, three days, a week, two weeks, who who knows? It's going to be a long slog. Okay, can you imagine if we were all driving electric vehicles? Explain to me how you would be able to get in and out, at least this way. All right, you're, you're able to start up your car. You're able to, if assuming the roads are passable, you're able to get out and get to the hardware store and buy, you know, whatever things that you need. If your place has been damaged, you're able to get to the grocery store. You're, you're able to actually evacuate before, you know, this stuff hits. Or if your house is now livable, not livable, you can leave. Can you imagine what would happen if, you know, we had all these electric cars that were on the power grid as well, and now people are being told, okay, well, be careful where you drive because you've got one charge and that's it. Again, we're just probably not ready for this. Now, earlier on, I was talking to Mike Spalding, and I was making the point that all of us who do public speaking— from time to time, we will have a slip of the tongue. And I always laugh because there are some people who just love when I when I make that slip of the tongue. And, you know, I'll, I'll say something and it'll be, like I said, the most recent example that I can think of was when I had Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, on the air, and I was introducing, I was I was previewing that in an earlier segment, and apparently at one point in time, I know I said Tim Scott in the beginning, but somewhere along I said Rick Scott, because he's the senator from Florida, and it was just, it was a slip of the tongue. I knew I had Tim Scott coming on the air. I had said it was Tim Scott, but I made that mistake. Okay, so people point that out. But I think it's pretty fair that it's a slip of the tongue, and it may very well be that I'm losing it, but it, it's not because of that. And, and that happens. We all do that. If you make your living speaking in front of an open microphone for three hours a day, five days a week, you will have slips of the tongue. If you um, are a politician and you are going around and you're giving your stump speech or you're answering questions of the media or constituents, I guarantee you that there will be a point in time where you make a, a slip of the tongue, all right? And, and most people understand it is a slip of the tongue, which brings me to something that happened yesterday involving the President of the United States. Here's the way the New York Times reported it. This is the New York Times that is reporting the story. So you understand the magnitude because the New York Times is pretty much the the print organ of the Democratic Party. But here's what they say. President Biden looked into the audience on Wednesday for, Je- for Representative Jackie Walorski, Republican of Indiana, during a White House conference on ending hunger. All right. Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? Mr. Biden said as he thanked lawmakers who had sponsored legislation on the hunger issue. The president appeared appeared to be confused at her absence and said something under his breath about whether she planned to be at the event. All right. I want to recognize Jackie Walerski. Jackie, are are you here? Where are you, Jackie? And then then, you know, dates where I thought I thought she was supposed to be here. All right, well, you know why Jackie Walersky wasn't there? 
It's because she was killed on August 3rd in a car accident in her district, along with two of her congressional aides, when the vehicle she was in collided head-on with the other driver of that car was also killed. Mr. Biden did not correct himself during the remarks, but the incident quickly went viral on Twitter and other social media platforms, with some people seizing on that moment as evidence that Mr. Biden, who is 79, lacks the mental capacity to be president. Jackie, where is Jackie? Well, she's not there because she died, and she died a couple months ago. Now, this is not the first, you know, gaffe that that Joe Biden has had. You know, you had the interview he gave just— just let's go through a couple of the more public ones. The interview he gave, you know, was 60 Minutes a few weeks ago where he said, the pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're doing a lot of work on it, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And then like a day later, he tried to use his emergency powers under the pandemic to extend, you know, government spending. Three times during his presidency, he's talked about China and Taiwan. And, you know, he's been asked the question that, you know, if, if China attacks Taiwan, would would there be a military response? And on all three occasions, he said, yeah, that, that's, that's what we do. We, the military is going to get in, which I think is news to the military because that's never been the U.S. policy. I mean, I can give you other examples of it, but th- this is the, the latest one, including the, the where's Jackie thing. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is a fair conversation because we all have slips of the tongue. We all have those moments where you just have that kind of brain freeze where you're trying to think of that word. And and, and look, that, that happens to everybody. Maybe it happens a little bit more as you get older. But in this particular case, you have the President of the United States who apparently didn't remember that this congresswoman passed away in an automobile accident a couple months ago. Our number is 855-616-1620. Is this cause for concern? I mean, or is it just, hey, he's, he's perfectly fine. It's, this is just a cheap shot. It can happen to anybody. You know, we all forget things, and this is just like bad staff work or whatever. Or is this maybe something that people should be legitimately concerned about. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, one of the tip-offs is a newspaper like the New York Times, that they've got a big story about this, which tells me that even some people at the Times are perhaps a little bit concerned when this is more than a slip of the tongue. 855-616-1620. Is he losing it? What do you think? We discuss in a moment. I mean, I really wrestle with this because anybody, again, anybody who does public speaking, you know, will will make uh, will make mistakes from from time to time. You know, you mispronounce a word, or you get stuck on a particular word, or you you uh, again make make some sort of error. I, I meant to say Tim Scott, I said Rick Scott. Sorry, but I mean, I knew what I was talking about. Now, President Biden has more than his share of these, and I've been really reluctant to say, okay, just because, you know, he, he's had what appears to me to be some of these kind of like brain freezes or whatever, doesn't mean even at the age of 79 that he's in cognitive decline or whatever. But I will tell you, this one that happened yesterday is, I think, 
of major concern because it makes you wonder whether the president of the United States is losing it and how much he is losing it. If you haven't heard the story, he's having this big conference, press conference that we're talking. It was kind of the lead in. It was about hunger and nutrition. And he wants to recognize Jackie Walorski, a Republican from Indiana, because she helped sponsor some of this legislation. So he's he's looking in the audience for her. And he says, Jackie, are you here? Where, where's Jackie? As he's thanking lawmakers who sponsored legislation on the hunger issue. Um, he's then confused the fact that she's not there and says something under her breath about whether she planned to be at the event. Okay, well, the problem is she died in early August in a very highly publicized, you know, car crash. So the reason Jackie isn't there is because, well, she's passed away, and he didn't realize it. And that's, I I mean, he just, he didn't realize it. This isn't... This isn't a situation where you're, you're misspeaking and you call Jackie Waleski, you know, Madeline Waleski or, or whatever, or you mispronounce the last name. This is, he, he didn't know that she had passed away. And, you know, he had sent condolences and things like that. It just, it didn't register. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I do not believe this was a gaffe. No, I think there's, you know, something like that. Jeff, have him draw a clock with numbers, then draw it in 2 o'clock. My doctor had me do this. I'm 66. I passed, I think. Jeff, stop promoting ageism. Oh, well, okay, get over yourself. It's not a question of, it's not a question of ageism. I mean, people age. That The question is, are you in cognitive decline or not? And if you are the guy that carries around the nuclear football or has access to the nuclear football, should we be concerned about that? Jeff, I think this is a huge concern, and it's about time the media and his political parties stop covering up for him. He should be required to take a cognitive test. He thinks he should he needs the the good of the for the country. Jeff, you should play the audio. It, it's the audio is a lot worse. Um, he sounds completely lost with regard to this. Um, yeah, I, let's see, Jeff. I think this is just part of the plan to get uh, the vice president into office. Um, I don't know about that, Jeff. Of course, it is cause for concern. It implies a decrease in general ability to recall date and information, which most definitely affects the competence of leading a country. These incidents have increased in frequency and sometimes severity. This is not a good look on the world stage. Well, right, and I've, I, have, I have tried to avoid some of this because I understand that, that people make mistakes. I was, I was troubled. I don't know if the, word is, the correct word is troubled, but I thought it was odd when he goes on 60 Minutes and talks about how the pandemic is over. I think that surprised a lot of people um, when, when he was saying that, especially since the next day or two days later, he was going to use the pandemic as a justification to claim emergency powers to spend $400 billion on student loan relief. I thought, well, that, that's kind of interesting. And the stuff and all the, the, mis, the, the misunderstandings of U.S. policy with regard to Taiwan, where he's saying, well, if China invades Taiwan, we're going to respond in a military fashion, which has never been the policy of the United States. And it's kind of, I mean, I think it's sort of scary if you're making these off-the-cuff remarks that might lead us into a shooting war with red China, you know, over Taiwan. So, I mean, I think th- those are legitimate concerns. But again, you know, Sometimes people have the brain freezes. I understand that. Sometimes people misspeak. 
But, um, you know, come on, Jeff, let's not forget how Joe Biden also has to usher him off because he's not sure where he's supposed to go. Jeff, this is not this is definitely a cause for concern. It makes me nervous about his ability to lead. Um, Having said that, though, I always felt the same way about some of the crazy comments made by our previous president. Maybe we can get some better candidates. Well, look, that's. That, that's the concern, too. If, if you listen to me during the Trump years, I was—the the fact that President Trump—now, I don't think it was because of cognitive decline. I think a lot of the things that President Trump said were just because he has absolutely no impulse control. I mean, it's kind of like, for most of us, there's the brain, there's the mouth, and there's a stop sign somewhere in between where you stop and say, huh, maybe I, I just— shouldn't say this for whatever reasons. I think part of the problem with with Trump was there was just absolutely no filter. So that, you know, he thought something and boom, immediately after he thought it, it came out of his mouth. And that was, I think, a dangerous thing for presidents to have as well. But I don't believe it was because it was cognitive decline. I just think it was was just Trump being... Trump. Um, Jeff, I think it's as concerning as Ronald Reagan was in his later years. I... You know, there's no question that the last couple years of the Reagan presidency, and I think Ronald Reagan's been the greatest president of my lifetime, the the last couple years of the Reagan presidency, there was clearly evidence of some degree of of cognitive decline about that. I mean, there's no question about it. I guess the question is, you know, where are we with Biden, and is it, you know, you know, getting—is it getting worse? I mean— you know, no question about that. Um, so, I, you know, people can decide for themselves about this, but I, I will say one of the things that's starting to emerge is that more and more people are finding it impossible to sweep this all under the rug. As Biden, no matter how controlled the press conferences are, he, he goes out and then you, you have instances like this. And I'm sure the aides are in the back going, oh, my God, you know, he, he has forgotten that this congresswoman died a couple months ago. He's just, he's got no clue about this. And I'm, I'm sure, I, I, can you imagine being one of the aides on this? Because you're sitting there and you're listening to this, and he clearly, he's like looking around, and where, where is she, and what's happened to this? And you, you want to go try to jump in if you're one of the aides and, and bail him out or something and try to say, okay, well, look, you know, I don't know how you bail him out of that situation, but, you know, you just, you, you couldn't do it, and there's nowhere to go. I guess the, the scary thing is, and I, I this isn't ageism, it is just kind of a reality that if you've got a president of the United States that is in cognitive decline, what, what do you do uh, about that, and you know how do you deal with that, and, and how severe is that? And you see more and more of these examples as Biden has fewer and fewer unscripted public appearances for precisely this reason. They don't want to put him out there in, an, in a freewheeling sort of thing without without aides there and without a very controlled situation because they're not sure what he's going to say. He's always been kind of a loose cannon, and there's nothing wrong with people who are loose cannons in politics. Trump was certainly a loose cannon. I, I get that. They roll around the deck. Sometimes they shoot off the cannon in the right direction. Other times they shoot the cannon into the the ship and the ship ends up sinking but you know the president of the United States if he is if he is in cognitive decline well okay then 
Then you got to ask the question about, you know, who's really running the show? And I think that that is a fair question to ask. And if people want to think it's ageism, well, then it's ageism. I'm more concerned with, okay, do we have a president that's in cognitive decline? And what happened yesterday is, I think, something that pretty clearly indicates that answer is yes. All right, a lot of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Mike Spaulding, let me put you on the spot. Cardinals fan that you are. (laughs) Yes. All right. Do the Brewers make the playoffs? What happened yesterday, they beat your beloved Cardinals, so they are now a half a game behind the Philadelphia Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies have one more game to play, but... Um, If the season ends up in a tie, since the Phillies won the season series, they go in. So the Brewers are really a game and a half behind. They have to, they they can't end up tied and still advance to the playoffs. The Brewers have seven games left. They are all at home. Four games starting tonight against uh, Miami and then, or Florida, I guess, is there, right? No, they're the Miami Miami Marlins Marlins now. And then they finish up against the Arizona Diamondbacks. So seven games in a row at home. Philadelphia is on the road. Philadelphia is kind of in a free fall, just lost two games to the Chicago Cubs. All their games are on the road. Um, They play, I think, um, they play against Washington. They've got a series about Washington coming up, and then they finish against with three games against Houston. Houston might have the best, one of the two best records in baseball, but they, they will have won everything there is to win, so theoretically Houston won't have that much to play for. So, with that lead up, do the Brewers make the playoffs? If home field advantage is a real thing, then my heart says yes. You mentioned that they have four games at home against the Marlins. The the uh, the the Phillies have to go on the road. So yeah, I think the Brewers have the pitching. They've displayed that for the past three seasons, and everything is in their favor right now because Arizona also not awesome, right? right? Like so, right. I, everything is shaping up. Other than having to make up a game and a half to you know overtake the Phillies, I. I Everything's set up to to, uh, to to make the playoffs, so I'm couching my answer there. But I think they do because okay, all right, the, the baseball gods have have shined a, a light on the rest of the remainder of their season. Okay, so then the Brewers make the playoffs in all likelihood. Matter of fact, I think it's pretty much a certainty they will play your beloved St. Louis Cardinals in a best of three series in St. Louis. Do the Brewers beat the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis? I think I got three. I got to write a newscast. I think. <laughs> all right, you're going to take the fifth on that one. All right. I will let you take the fifth on that. It, it it's you know it, it's kind of an exciting thing. That is the I, as as a traditionalist and a purist, I'm kind of um, I, I'm always kind of ambivalent when they do things like expanding the playoffs. But there's no question that at least for Milwaukee baseball fans, it, it's it's added a level of excitement to the end of of the season because you're competing for you know that that final wild card space spot. Now, I mean, the truth of the matter, and see, this is the thing about sports in general. You you would think that even if they get into the playoffs, that there's no way the Brewers can beat St. Louis two out of three in St. Louis. But the truth is, you, that, that's the thing about baseball. You just never know. Somebody gets hot or some guy that's had a bad season comes off the bench and has a couple big hits. That's, that's the thing. Once you get into these close series, you, you never know exactly what's going to happen. And it's what makes it fun. And it's one of the reasons why... Brewers fans should be turning out to American Family Field over the course of the next seven games. Now, it's, you know, they're they're in a playoff race. I mean, I was there two nights ago against St. Louis. The attendance, the paid attendance was less than 30,000. And I mean, I understand it's a cold 
Tuesday night, you know, in late September. But it was a game, even though the Brewers came out flat and quite candidly played a lousy game two nights ago. It was a game that had, you know, a lot of playoff potential against one of their arch rivals. And one of the frustrating things to me was, I, I swear, there, there were more Cardinals fans in the stands than there were Brewers fans. Now, that was just my objective look, and maybe it was because the Cardinals fans were more vocal or whatever, but it, it was still, there, there should have been more than 30,000 paid tickets there, and, and there should have been a lot more Brewers fans. So, you know, we've got a chance, and I understand there, there's a lot of stuff that's gone wrong this season, and there's a lot of things to perhaps be upset with management about. And there's other times to have that conversation. But, okay, now we're down to crunch time here, and they have a chance to make the playoffs. And, you know, you need fans to come out, and you need fans to support the team. So I now get off my soapbox. I sent this out. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I want to share this story. Um, and then I've got a couple comments, but I also want to open up the phone lines. If you wonder why bad stuff happens. If you wonder why people behave in irresponsible fashions, I think part of the reason is because there are no consequences for that bad behavior. You know, it's just, if you've got a a kid and the kid, you know, acts up and you don't discipline the kid, well, you couldn't, shouldn't be surprised if the kid is going to continue to, to act up. And you can say, no, that's wrong. But, but if there's no discipline involved, you can't be surprised if the kid acts up and then acts up in a worse fashion, in a worse fashion. So lack of accountability, I think, is one of the problems. And it's one of the reasons I think that we have the crime problem that we have today, because especially in urban areas like southeastern Wisconsin, you have um, very, very few consequences for people until and unless they do something that's so bad that then there's no choice. Well, this is what we would call a flagrant act of journalism from the MacIver Institute, and this is up on their website. Few held accountable for Madison's 2020 riots. Let me just share a portion of this story with you. The State Street riots were supposedly over justice, and there was surprisingly little justice for the thousands of rioters who tore apart the city of Madison in 2020. The city faced two major waves of violence that year. After the death of George Floyd in Minnesota in late May, riots broke out across the country. They started in Madison on May 30th and died down after June 2nd. In those couple days, the entire downtown business district on State Street was vandalized and looted. Police officers were attacked, bystanders beaten, and a squad car was torched. Okay, can I see a show of hands? Everybody remember that? All right. The second round of violence broke out a couple weeks later when one of the mob's leaders was arrested for shaking down local businesses for protection money. That's when the rioters tore down state monuments, firebombed City Hall, and beat Democratic Senator Tim Carpenter. For the thousands of people who took part in this wanton destruction, less than 100 faced any charges. Less than 100. Only one was sent to state prison. Six were sent to state to federal prison. The MacIver Institute identified 49 individuals who were charged with a total of 85 felonies in Dane County. Half of those 49 individuals were already felons. Okay, so let, let's put this in context. You know, of thousands of people involved in the riots, okay, they, they only, you know, end up charging less than 100. 49 people who were charged with felonies in Dane County. Of that, half of the 49 people were already felons. So, you know, you you know that there's issues going on. About a quarter of the charges are still pending two years later. A quarter were dismissed. 
17 received deferred prosecution, and 19 pled guilty or no contest. Of those, only 14 of the 49 individuals have faced any real punishment so far. Three years of probation was the most popular sentence for these 14 individuals. The only one to go to prison was Javante Woods. His criminal record is four pages long. During the riots, he was caught looting two stores on State Street. And then it goes on to talk about how crimes against law enforcement were generally ignored. One person threw a flaming gas canister at police, but that charge was dismissed. Longtime protester Jeremy Ryan, a.k.a. Segway Boy, was arrested for making terrorist threats against the sheriff, but those charges were dismissed. One individual swerved his car towards police officers making arrest. He was acquitted by a jury of his peers. Countless others who blocked police and interfered with their attempts to restore order and stop criminals never faced any consequences at all. This included the large group of people who blocked police officers trying to get to their squad car as it was set on fire and their weapons were stolen. Um, Let's see. Perhaps most disturbing was how the justice system handled a battery case. Even when there was video evidence of people being brutally attacked and beaten, little ever came from it. Michael Campbell attacked a TV cameraman during a live shot. He was sentenced to 18 months of probation in May of 2021. By August of 2021, he had disappeared and mail from Dane County was being returned as undeliverable. He's hanging out somewhere in Barron County these days. He was picked up for domestic abuse in June of 22 and given a fine. That didn't violate his probation or the justice system doesn't care. And then it goes on and on. And I've sent out again a tweet going through this with with a link to the story. But you have all these people who engaged in various forms of criminal activity during the Madison riots. And by and large, the quote-unquote criminal justice system has turned a blind eye to this. Let's see, 20 cases dismissed, 17 deferred um, prosecution, only one, I think, found guilty, 27 still open. It's just a travesty. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If law enforcement— and I guess that that's not fair. If the district attorney's office and the court system doesn't take these cases seriously, is there any reason to believe that the next time some sort of thing sets off a, a would-be riot, that the same stuff that happened in 2020 isn't going to continue to happen again? By not prosecuting vigorously the people that were responsible for this, Don't we simply enable the mob? And is that a good thing? And to people out there who, who, you know, are appalled at what happened on January 6th, I get it. I I understand. That's why I have been arguing all along that if there's evidence of violations of the law, people who are responsible for that should be prosecuted and they should be held accountable. But if it's good enough for the people on January 6th, isn't it good enough for the people who were on the streets in the Madison riots or what happened in Wauwatosa or what happened in Kenosha? And that's not what is happening with regard to the people who were guilty of all sorts of misconduct in Madison. And isn't that wrong? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I just what what really struck me is, 
and, and credit to the MacGyver Institute for what they've done. They, they Okay, you, you had thousands of people that took to the streets on two occasions in, in 2020, and, and I think it's fair to say were involved in riots and all sorts of destruction of property and misconduct in Madison. Of those, a staggeringly small number was charged, and of those staggeringly small number of people that were charged, almost nobody has been held accountable, despite the fact that many of the people who got arrested were convicted felons. Um, Jeff, people, criminals who took protesting to the point of breaking the law have never had consequences. That is why this will um Continue. Jeff, thanks for drawing some attention to the lack of justice for the 2020 riots. All we hear about is the January 6th riot. I guess local businesses, innocent people, and local police aren't as important as the Capitol. And don't get me wrong, I am not minimizing the criminal behavior that went on at the Capitol. I have, I will not defend the people who stormed the Capitol and assaulted police officers or engaged in acts of destruction. And I, I think it, it's perfectly appropriate to charge them with whatever crimes that you have. But at the same time, you know what? You, you got to do that with the people who were involved in the Madison riots. You've got to do that with the people who were in the Kenosha riots, despite the fact that you have Tony Evers and, and uh, Mandela Barnes, who I think encouraged some of the Kenosha riots by their stupid and inflammatory comments at the start of the proceeding. Um, you know, Jeff, I've always wondered why there are still people in jail for January 6th. And after Act 10, people were simply allowed for a long period of time to oper- um, to occupy the Capitol in M- Madison and call it the people's house. Well, I, again, I, I, I'm not dismissing at all, you know, what happened on January 6th. That's why I think you know, people who committed crimes deserve to be prosecuted. But you, don't we have to do the same thing in Madison? And it's apparent that that's not happening. Jeff, you're using logic. That doesn't apply to Madison politics. Let's talk to Justin. Justin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for talking about this. Um, I, I feel that this is an issue that goes far back. It's, it's not the repeat offenders. You know, there may be the lack of accountability, um, but I also feel this echoes to what the reason that they're doing it in the first place. And if you want to talk about repeat offenders, you can talk about the generational stuff that happens to communities and parts of cities over and over again. The, um, you know, underage, you know, the young ladies having pregnancies, you know, the violence that continues on, the um, gang members that are, you know, in in their teens already getting accused and they're repeat offenders. It's the lack of significance. It's the lack of love and connection that they don't feel from their childhood and on, and then it's repeated over but and over. I, 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 I don't want to interrupt you, Justin, but I'm not. I'm not following. How does that relate to uh, not holding people okay. who firebomb a, a police car, not prosecuting them? I don't get it. Right. Okay. Sure. Sure. I can. I can see what you're doing, but the way the law system is set up, you know, I, I'm not one to to uh, you know admit like I can, I can do anything about it, but it's you're going to put them in a jail and then repeat offenders. They're not getting what they need. And what do they need? They need some kind of feeling of significance. They need to go back to themselves to solve their own problems. Or you're going to get another bombing done. The bombings are done over and over again, maybe as to get this feeling to run away from this feeling. To go too psychologically, I apologize. I'm sorry, I I don't mean to cut you off, but I I can't. You're you're just kind of off topic. And I guess if the point is, see, my point is when you 
I don't know, if you if you throw a firebomb at a police car, you, you should be held accountable. And I understand you're saying there's many reasons why people throw the firebombs at the police car, and, and maybe it's because that they, they don't have enough love or, or whatever. I, now, I, I would argue that, I guess it, it all depends, but I would argue that when you have people, for example, during one of these riots, whether it's Kenosha or Madison, who are looting the liquor store, it's not because— I don't know. They were misunderstood as children or didn't have enough love. It's because, hey, there's a liquor store there or there's a TV store there and we can go through that window and we can steal as much stuff as, as we want. And and if you want to talk about the broader implications for, OK, how can we discourage people from, I don't know, looting a liquor store when they see the opportunity? I, I'm, I'm willing to do that. That's actually that that's a conversation that's beyond my pay grade. All I'm saying is that when you're in the middle of a riot, um, you, you need to have people that are held accountable. And for everybody out there who correctly demands that there be, I don't know, prosecutions of the people who were involved in storming the Capitol on January 6th, that's fair enough. You make a good point. I concede that point. But at the same time, how can you turn around and have people who are, for example, convicted felons who are involved in involved in what is clearly criminal activity, how can you turn around and allow them to simply, I mean, skate? And that's precisely, you know, what is going on there. Now, I, I think, again, part of it is there is a reluctance on the part of some people, and let, let's just be honest here, I, and I, I don't want to say that there, there's anybody institutionally that, that condones the violence, but at the same time, I mean, you saw this with, with Kenosha, where you've got the governor and you've got the lieutenant governor who now wants to be the senator coming out, and their initial reaction is to uh, just condemn, I don't know, the police conduct, which turned out to be completely appropriate, that led to the anger, instead of, you know, condemning the, the anger and the misbehavior and stuff. So, I mean, clearly, I think one of the things going on in Madison, for example, was, okay, well, we understand people are upset about George Floyd. So, all right, so you're blowing up a squad car. So you're throwing bricks at police officers. So you're looting stores. Well, you know, we don't want to come down too hard on you. Why not? Why not? Crime is crime, isn't it? And again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the story. We we knew, at least I think most of us felt, that there were very, very few people who were actually held accountable for their criminal behavior in Madison during 2020. Now I think you, you see the hardcore numbers and you realize how bad it actually was. So very glad to have you with us. All right, as long as we're talking about lack of accountability. See, I've always felt, I, I appreciate, for example, the, the, the right of people to protest. I, I do. and But I've always believed that there there has to be a degree of accountability. So the, the idea being, hey, look, I, I respect it. If, if, you, if you decide that you want to do X because you think that, you know, you, you want to make a statement about this and call attention to an issue, so you're going to do something that's against the rules, I, I say go with God, that that's fine. But you have to understand that you are breaking the rules and there needs to be some degree of accountability. Okay, so... But let's say you're you're in your workplace and you decide your workplace has all sorts of different rules and you decide that I don't I don't like this particular rule. I don't think I should have to do this, that, or the other thing. So you decide in order to make a statement about that, you decide that you're going to not do those various rules. Okay, that that's fine. You have made your statement. You have a right to do that. But then when your employer turns around and says, Okay, 
you know, you violated this rule and that rule and this rule, and here's what we're doing. We're demoting you, or we're going to fire you, or, you know, whatever. That is the consequence for, for breaking that rule. And when you made the decision that you were going to break that rule because you, you I don't know, wanted to protest some condition, fine, go with God, you did it. But you have to understand there should be consequences, which brings me to the story from Marquette University. You may remember this. August 25th was the start of what they call convocation. That's an event that they have that formally introduces incoming freshmen and their families to the Marquette community. And so they have, you know, all, all those, the big wigs that are up on the stage and things like that. And it's to make the families feel comfortable that they made the right decision to take their kids and send them to Marquette and pay 40 grand or whatever it is to send a kid to Marquette now. So what happened is you had a, a small group of students who decided that they wanted to protest what they think is problems at Marquette with regard to a a failure to support minority students, students of color, etc. Okay, so a a small group of of students, including a couple government leaders, student government leaders, members of the Black Student Council, the Latin American Student Association, and the NAACP, what they did is they bum-rushed the stage during this, this convocation and essentially shut it down. They, they ran out, they yelled, shut it down. They held signs saying, we are not a token, we have a voice too. Marquette officials and university leaders attempted to de-escalate the situation. Okay, you've got to stop this now. We've got to go on with the, this ceremony, etc. And And they refused to do it. So as a result of that, I mean, they, they got what they wanted. The protesters got what they wanted. They got the attention on the issue. They wanted to shut down this event, so they did shut down the event. Okay? All right, so that, that's, that's good. They, they achieved their goal. Well, all right, the university, to its credit, said, okay, fine, Here, here's the deal. We have, we have rules. We have, a student, we have rules for student conduct. And what they did is they ended up identifying the people that were involved in the protests, and they ended up punishing them. All right, now, it, it's not like, I don't know, the city of Madison, where you apparently can get away with, like, firebombing a police officer's car. But, but here's the punishment. It, it varies, but the sanctions for violating this student rule with regard to disrupting events, which is what they did, they knew they did it. All right, the punishments range from probation, community service, a mandatory apology letter, a $300 fine, or a suspension in abeyance, which means the suspension won't take effect or appear on student transcripts as long as they don't engage in any additional policy violations. So in other words, it's a um, it's kind of like a deferred prosecution agreement where, okay, this is going to be on your record, but if you don't do anything else within a certain period of time, the whole thing goes away. So, I mean, it's not like they expelled kids. It's not like they, um, again, suspended kids for, you know, months and months. It, it, it was, these are pretty minor penalties, it would seem to me, for the disruption. Well, anyhow, so, but they did it. So now the people, okay, who were punished and some of their supporters are objecting to Marquette punishing them. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. Marquette University has sanctioned students who protested late last month during a freshman welcome event. 
outraging some members of the campus community who see the punishment as too punitive and missing the larger point students were trying to make. More than 100 students and staff marched down West Wisconsin Avenue to the university's union on Wednesday in support of the welcome event demonstrators who protested what they describe as a lack of resources devoted to students of color. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This stuff makes my head explode. And my producer, Charlie, is glad that he's behind a glass window. And people to my left who are outside in the avenue in our food hall, they should be glad because we are separated by a glass window because my head is about to explode on this. You have people who violated the rules. They knew what they were doing. They decided to do it regardless. Okay, God bless them. They did it. And now they are whining about the consequences for it. If you're going to be grown up enough to decide to stage one of these protests, you should be grown up enough to accept the consequences of that, especially when the consequences here don't even rise to the level of being a slap on the wrist. And for all these people who want to enable the people that engaged in misconduct in the first place, shame on them. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just I do not understand why people want to uh, again just codify and minimize bad behavior. So these kids at Marquette, they they storm the stage, they disrupt this ceremony, it has to be canceled. Marquette gives out really, really small penalties, and then there's this outrage about it. Jeff, please don't use my name. Okay, my husband is employed at Marquette University and was there that day and has direct knowledge of what happened. The very few protesters ruined an event that was attended by a few thousand people. They are protesting the fact that they don't have faculty representation for their student groups. They are not the only group that does not have faculty representation. My husband is an employee, is currently the faculty advisor for a group that doesn't have faculty representation and it's not for a year. That group did not protest. They made phone calls thought outside the box and got alternative permissions to have an employee to provide oversight. Now my husband on his days off takes time away from our family to spend a few hours a month with a group of students acting as a type of liaison and providing mentorship. That group did it right. All right, so that that's the point. You, you have this handful of students who decide, well, we're aggrieved, so what we're going to do is we're going to disrupt this. We're going to inconvenience and cause the cancelization of a, an event for thousands of people. Fine. You succeeded. All right, you got the story on out in the press. You got your faces on television. But now this idea that, well, we shouldn't be held accountable for the consequences of what we do. You know, give me a break. I mean, you knew what you were getting involved in when you did it. And now you have to, uh, again, oh, my gosh, you're going to get put on some sort of deferred prosecution thing. Or you're going to be put on probation or something like that. Oh, cry me a river. But, oh, this is so terrible that we would possibly penalize people for disrupting this event that had thousands of people and really giving Marquette a, a black eye as a result of this. Let's start with Matt. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, good afternoon to you. Uh, you hit it right on the head there. I, I couldn't imagine being a parent and a, a freshman sitting in that auditorium and having that kind of, uh, you know, activity go on and, and, and disrespect to a school with such a prestigious, you know, um, uh, name. And, and then, you know, furthermore, I mean, it, okay, if everybody's got a point to make and, and there's, you know, uh, an opinion, 
you know, you do have that right to speak sure. out and, and maybe do it peacefully outside and, and, you know, maybe out of the parking lot. And while everybody's leaving, you got your signs and, and you're making your point that way. But, you know, this school is of a caliber that, that, that shouldn't tolerate that. And, and if you do go in with the intention of disrupting, especially something that important for right. new students, uh, you better be prepared for the consequences. That's, that's it. No, I'm, I'm with you. No, no, thanks to Colin. And that's, that, that's the point. And that's, okay, that's, that's what happens. I mean, I, I like, and look, I'm, I, you know, I grew up in the sixties and seventies and, and I mean, I, I know that there was the protests against the war and you had people who would, you know, burn their draft cards and stuff like that. Oh, okay. They were, they were held accountable. You understand that there's going to be consequences for doing that. If, and I, I take no position on the merits of, of the issue that, that well, you know, we, we need to have more faculty advisors or whatever. I, I, I take no position on that one way or the other. All I know is when you decide to protest and engage in this civil disobedience, and that's what this is, you got to understand that there are going to be consequences. And it's this whining about it. Well, don't you understand that we were we were protesting because we think, you know, students of color need to have, you know, more faculty representatives or whatever. Okay, that, that's fine. You've protested. You've gotten your way. You disrupted this event. You inconvenienced thousands of people. You've made Marquette look bad. Okay, you've achieved this. You've got your mugs on television. Don't whine to me about consequences for this you had to know that this was going to happen when you did it and if you i mean and if marquette doesn't impose some degree of penalties all they're doing is just enabling you know not only this group of people but any group of people that decide well here i'm going to just i'm going to push the limit the next time we're going to do this i mean if you're going to have rules you have to enforce the rules don't you let's talk to mike mike you're on wtmj good afternoon Mike. Okay, lost Mike. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Um, yeah, that's the, um, you know, that's the that's the thing. Um, there, there's no question R. You know, Jeff, you have no sick of how, tired of how people are, you know, demanding, you know, everything. Well, I, I don't have a problem with that. If you want to demand stuff, that that's great. If you want to protest stuff, that's great. Just don't be surprised when people, you know, end up holding you accountable for some of the things that you do. Jeff, I think they should extend the punishment to this for the staff as well. Please rest assured that the staff is more likely the ringleaders of some of these various campus movements. Well, I, I don't, I don't know about that. I know that there were apparently some of uh, staff members who decided that they too wanted to protest this. I mean, and, and again, I'm getting some texts from people who are saying, well, "Are you saying they don't have a right to protest?" Of course, they have a right to protest. That's not the issue. The question is, if you decide that you're going to violate the rules, should you expect that nothing bad is going to happen to you in the interim? And that's my point. Violate the rules? Fine. Just understand that there might be some consequences to that, and then don't complain when those consequences end up coming home to roost. Hey, one final thing before we turn it over to John and Melissa. I, I I put this out on Twitter, and if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. There's a interesting piece on the website Empower Wisconsin, and it does kind of make you wonder 
whether or not the mayor of Milwaukee is, is kind of ready for prime time. You will remember a, uh, a week or two ago, they had this big press conference where the mayor of Milwaukee announced that the city was going to be partnering with this group to try to you know, generate you know, voter turnout. Oh, okay, that's fine. And then the, the mayor was surprisingly vague about you know, who this group was. Well, it now turns out that this is a, a group privately funded group run by high-profile Democrats, and it looks very much like a 2022 version of the whole Zuckerbucks thing, where you have, you know, Democratic operatives supposedly, you know, working for this nonprofit thing to try to juice the vote in heavily Democratic areas of the state. Well, anyhow, this Empower Wisconsin website has done, again, this flagrant act of journalism, and they found all these different emails between the mayor's office and some of his people in this group, including raising concerns beforehand about, hey, what's going to happen when people ask us, who is who's really behind this group and then getting advice from the democratic operatives on how to if not outwardly outright deceive the public on this to certainly like dance around these questions and again as i said on my twitter account when i sent out a link to this story the fact that the mayor of the city of milwaukee would get involved with this group in the first place and would go down this particular route at this point in time in history is just kind of mind-boggling to me, and again, makes me wonder, are, are we really ready for prime time here? I mean, given all the stuff that went on in the 2020 election, and I'm not saying I think it was stolen or anything like that, but there were clearly questionable practices that were engaged in. The city of Milwaukee deciding to get in bed with heavily funded Democratic op- Democratic operatives operating under a, well, we're this independent group, like I say, in an effort to juice the vote, does nothing to instill voter confidence in people. Why the mayor would do it is beyond me. Why the mayor and his staff ended up asking some, and they knew that they were getting into a hornet's nest. And you read the emails and you can tell that. It's just, you know, I think you've got a new mayor who, who maybe should rethink some of these things. Just saying. If you want to see the email exchange, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620.